0: to the Empowering the Future of Work podcast from InTech Ideas. The world of work has changed dramatically for companies and their team members. It's almost like someone hit the fast forward button, creating a new normal for work. The challenges we're encountering are endless, but there is a better way. This podcast focuses on tips, tricks, and topics to help you to excel in this new normal. We'd love for you to join us after the show when we host discussions about each topic on LinkedIn and Twitter. Now let's get started.
1: Hi, everyone, and thank you for joining us. My name is Skip Marshall, founder and CEO of InTech Ideas, and you're on the Empowering the Future of Work podcast. Uh, Today, I have Jessica Noble with me from founder and CEO of Magnetic Experiences, um, hey Jessica, thanks for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. I'm happy to be here. Now I know Magnetic Experiences focus on services businesses that are scaling their business, but you specifically look at how you help them also scale their profits alongside of that. How did you kind of get into that area of focus?
2: Yeah, so when I decided to start my business, I spent a great deal of time figuring out who I wanted to work with, just from a human to human, and so I reflected on my I I don't know dozen plus years in consulting and noticed that my favorite customers the ones where I made the greatest impact which of course makes the customers happier <laughs> were the mid-sized businesses that were growing but experiencing massive growing pains and they had founded their business with this desire to serve customers to provide great experiences but I could see just from the outside that that those experiences were eroding, not just for
1: customers, but for employees. And yeah, and customer yeah. experience is one of those things that, you know, unfortunately businesses don't always think enough about, right? So they're it is, it's kind of out there on the periphery all too often and they're focused on things like making sure their help desk is working, make sure their sales team is working, you know, all those other things, but don't really look at how that applies. Now, how did you actually kind of zero in on the customer experience process?
2: I think it's because when customers would come to me, typically their the way they would explain their situation to me was, we're making our revenues growing. It's growing a ton, but our customers, it feels like they are complaining more, asking for credits more often. Our employees are irritable. Um, our margins aren't looking as good as they used to, but I can't really see anything wrong and that's from their executive team's perspective. They can't tell what's not what's happening. They know the revenue is growing, which is fabulous, but the profit margins are starting to slip a little bit, although that's a slow process. And you have a lot of grumpy people around and it's the uh, why. And so the reason I delved into customer experience because that's a great way to diagnose what's happening under the covers, not just with the customer experience, but it's really helping you find out where the growing pains are. That are coming from your company growth as you scale.
1: Now, in, pr- in prior to Magnetic Experiences, you had a lot of experience working in that space with different customers, right? You've, you've worked with, I've had the pleasure of working with you in the past. Um, we were at TriBridge together and, and we've actually even got to go on a couple of those conversation calls with customers. Um, so tell us a little about that experience and kind of the the, the scope and really how that refined your perspective on, you know, the customer journey and specifically customer experience.
2: Yeah. So I did, I worked for tribridge and I was in the consulting field for, I think maybe 12 plus years. Um, love the consulting world. Just the exposure to so many different companies, experiences, whether it's a fortune 50 company or a midsize company and the ability to make an impact on that midsize space. Is huge. I tell people it's not that hard to get 10x returns, whether it's 10x savings or 10x increase in revenue in that midsize space. It's just it's ripe for the picking. And so, <laughs> in working with customers and seeing the ability to make that impact, um, it, it really was encouraging. But in that space, they need someone from the outside to help them see it. Because I would say one of the biggest challenges I have with that mid sized space and customers is having them realize that the experience they're providing today to customers is not what it once was. You know, when they started out and they were a company of 20, 50, 100 people, they were providing a certain experience. And as they've grown and scaled, That's eroded. And it's really hard to get them to acknowledge that because they want to provide a great experience. But once you get them over that acknowledgement piece, they are committed to improving it because that's what their original desire was for their company.
1: Right. Yeah, I think you and I have that, that, um, and perhaps it comes from our shared experience at TriBridge, that focus on that, that mid-market customer, the mid-sized customer, and what typically people think of as smaller businesses. But the reality is everybody's, everybody gets excited about talking about Fortune 100 and Fortune 500 companies because they're big brands. Yeah. But the impact that you have on these, these other organizations are, are quite tremendous. Um, and that was actually one of the things that really got us motivated at Intech Ideas is really think about how you actually impact those businesses in in a meaningful way and trying to bring attention to that. Yeah. Now, you've recently actually published a book. Um, you had a book that came out: um, five customer experience mistakes that are rosin that are rosing eroding your <laughs> profit margin. Yep. Uh, if I could, if I could spit out the words there. Um, you know, I had I had the the opportunity to read that book. What um, what kind of spurred you to to write that?
2: Um, that is a good question because I never thought I would write a book. It was never on my bucket list. But as I was thinking about the customers I wanted to serve and reflecting on previous customers, the types of mistakes or issues they were experiencing as they scaled came down to some very, um, when I say basic, I don't mean easy to solve, but some pretty straightforward issues that they they were all experiencing. And as I noticed how it all came back to similar principles or a lot of it came back to similar principles and started crystallizing my own messaging for my company and how to serve customers, it just kind of evolved um, into a guidebook because it really is a short book. It's very practical. It's not something you read just to get smarter about something. If you're not going to do something with it, don't buy it. <laughs> <laughs> because it really is um, an actionable book, like to actually get results, do something, and make a difference for your company.
1: Yeah, I think you know I love I love to read, and so it's when you get a book like that and being able to actually jot notes in the margins because there's it's got you thinking about very tangible things you can do, and you know, we started thinking about it as it applies to our own business and to our customers. So it was it was really interesting to see that. Now you your- you outline five five mistakes in there. Um, and probably the one that, that caught my eye the most probably from personal experience was your second mistake. You talk about relying too much on heroes in the organization. And I think back to a lot of the small companies that I've worked in. And, and sometimes I've even considered myself, at least, at least I thought myself that way, that, that hero role where you're willing to go in and do anything you need to do for the organization. Um, and you know, Tell us a little about why that's a problem. What's what's the challenge their organizations have around those heroes?
2: Yeah, I, I have felt like I've been the hero before, too. So a little bit of this is based on my reflecting on having played that role and sometimes actually enjoying that role. Um, and, and I've gotten into some conversations with people that don't necessarily agree until I continue to, to reinforce it is over-reliance on heroes. So not just having hero employees, we want employees who will step up, do the right thing to help customers get what they need, but it's the over-reliance. And the reason this is not a good thing is one, it's supremely expensive to be having people continue to jump in to resolve routine issues. And If they were able to do that before the customer had already encountered some sort of frustration that required this hero swooped in, then maybe it wouldn't be so bad. But ultimately, what happens is a customer has to complain or you have to run into some sort of issue first. Then you throw the hero employees on fixing it. And the customer may ultimately be very grateful to that person but they may not be any more thrilled with the overall company or brand. And if it happens once that may be okay. The customer may say, you know what, we encountered an issue, but they did a great job, job resolving it. But when so it
1: it's, happens. well, I was going to say, it's really, so you're saying it's really, a, it's really about kind of heading off the problems before you get there. If you're relying on the heroes, it's kind of like your firefighters, your policemen, your, your first responders, right? So they're, they're out there at, at the front of an emergency or a major problem or an issue. Um, and we've seen this time and time again. Actually, we're talking about consulting being fun, having numerous consultants that play that hero role. The only problem is they can't continue to serve in their primary role because what? they often get pulled back into clients that already lie. Well, we, we, no, we need that person back because they did such a tremendous job for us.
2: Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Well, and the other see part of it- probably
1: is a scale problem.
2: Yeah. The other piece of it is it it really can mask the issues that you have with the experience that you're providing natively, whether it's because you um, have inefficient processes. A lot of times it's either disconnected systems or siloed data. and Those things are sabotaging the customer experience, but you have someone who swoops in and Fixes it or cleans it up. And so leadership doesn't necessarily see the magnitude of the impact of not having these systems. So when IT goes and says, you know, hey, let's invest in XYZ improvement, leadership may not see the ROI because they don't realize the number of hours, the time, and the impact on customer satisfaction of continuing to have these heroes swoop in to remedy for the mistakes caused by whether it's systems processes or whatnot.
1: So I don't want to, I don't want to save people from having to read the book. I think they should go read the book (laughs) for sure. But what's, what is one of those things that they can do to avoid having to rely so much on, on these heroes?
2: Yeah. Um, So the number one thing that I ask people to do is assess what are those situations? And sometimes they will all look the same, that, that's a lot easier to get to root cause. But as your company's growing and becoming more complex, it may be a little bit harder to see what the root is behind those issues that you're sending firefighters in for. So the root cause may be similar, but you're gonna have to dig a little deeper to figure out what's causing these pervasive issues to happen repeatedly. And so it really is digging into the root cause of, what is happening here? Why isn't it working the first time? Why aren't we able to deliver the experience we want to the first time for the customer? And once you identify that, right? we say measure the magnitude. Figure out what it's costing you. And I'm not saying big spreadsheets. If you want to do it on a you know paper coaster or a napkin to say, we've had this issue happen <laughs> 10 times this month, and it's taking a hero. 25 hours to fix it now you can get, kind of get a sense for is it worth is it worth investing in the fix and that's not even accounting for the fact that you're going to increase customer satisfaction by fixing it
1: right yeah absolutely and we you know we talk about that in, in the, the software development world right so you've got to get your bug fixes done you don't want to have to keep revisiting that same problem for sure, for sure. yes um, now, you also highlight, and it's your mistake number five, I think it was, um, it's the lack of a laser focus on the ideal customer. Mm-hmm. Now, in, in the target audience that you're you're speaking with, smaller businesses, and as they're growing, typically businesses that are growing are looking everywhere and anywhere that they can go get revenue, right? And get opportunities to grow their business. Why is it a problem not to have a... a laser focus on ideal instead of looking to grab those opportunities? What's the benefit of, of lasering in on a specific ideal customer? Yeah,
2: so I'll, I'll um, answer that question. Then I will also add on one of the most common ways that companies do that in the midsize space. But the reason is an ideal client, really the way that's defined is who can I most efficiently deliver an experience that they're going to love? that they're going to want to come back, tell their friends, provide referrals, testimonials. And that's what an ideal client is. And if you don't define that to some degree of specificity, you're not going to deliver it to anybody. If I just make myself so generic and say, magnetic experiences, we help anybody um, deliver better experiences. That's probably not going to resonate with anybody. They're going to Whereas if I say we help small and mid-sized businesses boost profitability, plug money leaks, while uh, improving and elevating employee and customer experiences, that's going to draw in, hopefully, um, a a narrower market. And they're going to be more strongly drawn because it's speaking to them. The other reason is it's not just drawing in the customers, but it's keeping them. And when you create your processes and your you have your technology and who you're hiring and your policies and procedures, if you make them so flexible to support anybody, that's not doing anybody any good. And so the more you hone it in and help your employees know how to focus on this type of customer, the better. That's what you do efficiently. And when you try to be um, everything to everybody, you're really setting your employees up to fail because you have these limitations of your business. And then you have these customers that it's kind of a stretch for you to be trying to meet their needs. That's tough for employees because most of them want to deliver a great experience. And yet it's not a match. The And one of the examples that I uh, use regularly is Nordstrom and IKEA, or you could pick Ritz Carlton and Motel Six, and you may believe that both provide great experiences. But if you walk into IKEA expecting Nordstrom quality and Nordstrom prices, you're going to think it's awful. And vice versa, a
1: little bit prices, of a surprise.
2: If you walk into Nordstrom thinking it's going to be IKEA and you get Nordstrom prices and quality, it 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 doesn't work. And so it's really being true to your brand so that people know what to expect. And that's going to have some people not want to do business with you. And that's okay. Um, You're not for everybody. But the one example that I'll use in terms of mid-sized business and in the B2B space where the biggest mistake is often made is deciding as you scale up, that you are going to target more and more enterprise customers, so Fortune 500, 150 customers, without understanding how different that space is to serve than mid-sized business. And so you get into tighter negotiations, typically with lower profit margins, higher expectations, can be more cutthroat, and a lot of things like that. And it consumes a disproportionate amount of your resources and your teams to get the lower margins and ultimately less happy customers. Now, that's not to say that midsize can't go after that, but you really need to understand, is this going to be an ideal target of ours? And if so, we need to build a process and a plan and approach around that.
1: Now, that's actually an interesting transition to one of the other thoughts I had. So as you know, we focus very heavily on helping organizations really build in that people first or people centric business model. Mm -hmm. Um, The future works all about that. This is not um, the whole idea that employee can be a commodity or that you have one or two stakeholders when you really have 17 different stakeholders in your business mm-hmm. um, is rapidly evolving. And you you have that as a common theme throughout all the pieces that you're talking about. In fact, you actually recently had a, a blog post about 12, 12 characteristics of a people first business. Mm-hmm. So how does is, how is being a people first business really create, you know, follow on to that, you know, customer experience and ultimately driving profit in your business?
2: It's important for people to start to realize how interconnected customer experience, employee experience, and profit and profit margin are. And in my book, I talk about the same mistakes that are eroding your profit margins are simultaneously eroding customer experience and employee experience. And a lot of people will tell me, that's probably an overgeneralization and a lot of debate. But when you start seeing examples, you will see it everywhere. (laughs) Those issues are affecting all three and it's sabotaging them. So you're losing profit margins, you're losing customers, and it's a lagging result or a lagging indicator is you're going to lose employees. They may stay longer um, because of what we call legacy attachment, uh, a hope that you'll return to when things were great but ultimately they'll leave or in the meantime, just become less productive.
1: Right. Yeah. It's, it's, um it, it's interesting that organizations don't pay enough attention to the connection between the employee experience and the customer experience. If an employee is, if the employee experience is bad. It may not manifest itself right away at the customer side, but at some point it's going to show up and vice versa. If your customers aren't, aren't getting a great experience, you're going to end up with a bad employee experience. And it's, it's uh, something that is probably in, in today's time with the kind of the current situation with, with everything that's going on in the U S and globally, um, you know, we're in a, a really, you know, it's an overused term, but certainly unprecedented times for a lot of organizations. Now, mm-hmm. even with that, a lot of organizations are still pushing to grow and they are still driving through and finding ways to, you know, not just keep their business going, but actually grow their business during these these challenging times. So if you had a, a couple suggestions, what is it that organizations should or could be doing in this new normal to continue to help grow that business? And what what should their priorities be?
2: Yeah. So actually in a different blog post, I talk about the profiles of three different types of Companies and how they were affected by the situation we're in. So you have companies that are in distribution, and maybe they're swamped with business. And then you have companies who they're really looking for their next dollar to even stay in business. But I'll answer your question from that middle group, and those are the people who they're doing okay. They're probably eating into their reserves. It's a struggle, but they're not buried with business, and they they know they can keep the lights on. And for them, my pieces of advice would be, one, don't table all of your long-term strategic initiatives. You may need to scale them back. That's okay. But don't table them. Stay close to your customers and understand what do they need now. It's not going to be what it was in March. And look for the white spaces of what they need now and what you are uniquely capable of doing. What is your sweet spot, your secret sauce? And if that requires a shift or a pivot in what you do, then make that change. But in terms of the longer term strategic initiatives, the companies that will come out of this ahead are those that see this point in time as a time to Invest, and I don't necessarily mean in capital investments, but to invest the focus and the resources on strategic initiatives. And I remind people when times are tough, you say no more often. So maybe your strategic initi- initiatives were, you had 10 of them. So say no more often so that when you are saying yes to a strategic initiative, Your yes is better because you're going to focus and go hard. And if you are a really small business and you don't have a lot of resources, start small. Um, With my clients that I coach and advise with, I nearly always encourage them and help them focus on starting small. And so we'll do a two by two prioritization of where can you get max value for minimum effort, that low hanging fruit. Let's focus there. And there's a couple reasons for that. One, a lot of people don't have you know stacks of money sitting around or stacks of time. And if you're on the stacks of time side with people, look for the low-hanging fruit that frees up employee productivity first. Do that first. But what that also does is it builds confidence in your team and your leadership as they start to see results. And I actually just finished doing a testimonial um, for one of my clients um, who their business plan for next year is now fully based on what I've been working with them on because they've started to see these small initiatives reap results. And so they're building confidence, not only in my relationship with them, which is great, but their internal ability to see something through and get results and then tackle the next thing and get
1: results. So I think it's, it, it's rather interesting and kind of... The- bring this full circle and we're coming to the end of our time and kind of tie this all back in. You you made the comment again about staying close to your customer and that that feeds right in again to that ideal customer and the the right customer experience. Um, And, you know, it's again, thinking of this in all of our businesses as people first businesses where it's not just about the employee. It's not just about the customer. It's not just about your vendors and your partners and everybody else. It's one ecosystem where we're all having a shared experience from different perspectives, perhaps, but it is a shared experience nonetheless. And you're going to end up with customers that are having a really tough time uh, now. And, you know, they need that added support. And then you'll have other customers that are perhaps doing better, but they're all in that, again, shared experience envelope. And I think that to your point, as you kind of work through these challenges, growing your business, following those best practices we all ultimately come out the other side of this with a, you know, a growth opportunity and are are benefiting from those, um, those experiences.
2: Yeah. One thing that I would add in terms of staying close to your customers is if part of your approach for staying close to customers isn't staying close to, to all your employees, of course, but your frontline employees to find out their perspective of the experience they're providing, what their customers are asking for their priorities. If you're not mining that information from your customer facing employees, you are wasting so much in terms of valuable insights. And if you're getting that information always directly from customers, you're wasting your customer's time because they've already communicated that. So by getting it from your employees, you can then do a deeper dive with your end customer on this basis of already having some insight and information from your team
1: members, right? Definitely, and it's you know the probably the the most common conversation I'm having these days is well, there's there's probably two. Um, one, you know, it, there's a there's a resurgence, if you will, of monitoring employees and the whole concept of employee surveillance. Right? Everybody wants to know what employees are doing in this newly remote workforce. But that doesn't build trust, It doesn't help your employee experience, and, and it's certainly not going to build, you know, a, a long-term successful culture. But the other piece of that, to your point about the communication, is, you know, we talk about how do you evaluate performance, and my number one piece of advice is stop worrying about it from a performance perspective. Check in with your people. Talk to your people. Um reach out and connect both formally and informally, but make those connections and make sure that communication flow is happening because that's the best way to ensure that you're staying connected to those people that are driving your customer's experience. And if you're not doing that, you just simply won't know no matter how much you surveil your employees.
2: (laughs) And you can hear my eyes rolling. I can't even imagine if I had a boss and they told me that they were going to start doing that. Um, pity the person that tried to have that conversation with me. Um, But I will get on a soapbox and I um, know that you would get on the same one. I'll just beat you to it, is trust. And I've been doing a lot of industry roundtables where we pull together businesses that are a part of the same supply chain. And in each of the roundtables, ultimately the same topic has come up by some one on the call. And it's always around trust and your ability to trust your suppliers, your vendors, your partners. I think this ties in so perfectly with this surveilling your employees and whatnot. That trust that you either have or don't have is magnified right now. And how you react or respond to that is the impressions that you're making now are going to last so much longer than they would in precedented times or ordinary times. People will remember how you treated them, whether it was as a customer or an employee, for a long time. So if you don't trust them, they won't forget. If you do trust them, they will remember that. And like you said, Skip, when you check in with them, you may find out that you know, that they are struggling or they're having an issue with, with something, a process issue, a productivity issue, an issue related to all of the madness going on in the world. And if you hadn't checked in, it might have made you distrust them when really you ask and it's like, oh, well, then let's help figure this out together. That's what your job is as a leader, is to help them get around those, you know, bumps in the road.
1: That's absolutely right. So these this this new normal is, you know, not going to go away. Right. This is this is going to be what the way things are and, and trust is going to be even more critical. And I think if anything has come out of this, we've hit the fast forward button on the future of work. Yeah. Uh, many organizations are going to go to this permanently remote workforce. They're not going to be visiting their customers. So making these connections with their customers is going to be even more critical. Mm-hmm. Um, and finding ways to connect and associate and relate with. Both employees and customers is going to be be hard. It's going to be a very different different world going forward. Yeah, Jessica, thank you so much. Um, this, as always, this was a, a fun conversation. Really enjoyed it.
2: My pleasure. I love spending time with you guys.
1: And what's uh, what's the website they can go to to get your book?
2: Um, so it is on Amazon, and so you can go to Amazon, type in the name of the book, which is. And the reason that Skip struggled with it at the beginning is because I gave it like a 45 word title, but it's the five (laughs) customer experience mistakes that are causing profit erosion. And so you can also go to amzn.to backslash CX book, or just go straight to Amazon.
1: Excellent. Excellent. Again, Jessica, thank you so much. Look forward to talking again soon.
0: Yeah. No, thank you for having me joining us today on the Empowering the Future of Work podcast. Don't worry if you think you've missed something. We include everything in the show notes. You can also participate in the conversation by heading over to intechideas.com and clicking on the podcast link. You'll find information on each podcast plus links to our social media channels to continue the discussion. Finally, make sure to subscribe to the show and share it with a friend. Until next time.